Life Sunday, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, to be more specific, um, marking the anniversary of the 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in our land. And so Sanctity of Life, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is set aside um, to mark that, uh, to mobilize God's people, to encourage us, to spur us on, to give us a, a moment to take a step back and consider and to reflect on uh, the issues at hand. Um, I want to do some of that here this morning, but perhaps not in ways you might initially think. Uh, but before I go any further, I want to share with you some of the assumptions that I'm operating off of here. Uh, the first being that when it comes to guidance, our consciences are often a pretty poor guide. The public opinion is often little more than pooled ignorance. And that which is legal is not always that which is right. God's Word is the only infallible and therefore authoritative guide in all matters of faith and conscience. And part of the message of that Word is that life is precious and that murder is wrong, that the Gospel is real, it is true, and there is nothing any one of us could do or ever has done that is beyond his reach and ability to forgive. That the church has a role in this. The church has a calling in this to speak. To speak truth and to model grace. And one more thing. That abortion harms not only children... But mothers and a whole culture. Those are my assumptions. Now, with that said, what does the Bible say about the value of human life? We're going to start at the beginning Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and reading on down to the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. 
And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Pray with me. Lord, we know that it is made clear in your word. Paul tells us, the apostle tells us, that all the scriptures are God-breathed, breathed out from your very lips, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and are useful and profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that we we might be prepared, we might be equipped, we might be competent for every good work, good works that you have set aside for us to do. So we pray that you would take your word now and shape us, shape our minds, shape our hearts, shape our lives for your glory, for your glory and our good. And in your name we pray, amen. This time of year, as the air grows cold and the skies get gray, our family uh, tends to bring out the jigsaw puzzles. And uh, whether that's a, a famous painting of some kind, or a cartoon figure, or just birds, you know, up in the, in the trees in some little uh, collage of some form, th there's one thing that all those puzzles have in common. And it's this, we hate to lose a piece. Um, I mean, yeah, you can still take those 499 pieces and make an intelligible image out of them, but there's something about that one missing piece that just messes with you. It just doesn't feel right. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment about maybe another kind of puzzle. Not a 2D like that one there on the screen behind me. But, but one maybe where without this one piece, it doesn't fit. It, the, the nothing fits. Nothing holds together. There's nothing that makes sense. There's no coherency without that one missing piece. You with me? It's a different kind of puzzle. And so you need that piece. You're desperate for that piece, for it all to hold together, for it to fit together. And work as it's intended to work. You desperately need that piece. Now where I'm going with this is this. When it comes to thinking through the major issues of our day, we need that piece. We need that piece that holds it together, that makes sense of it all, that makes it intelligible, that makes it understandable. And here's the, the good news I have for you this morning. And we just, we just discovered it a moment ago. We have it. We have the peace. God's given it to us in terms of the, the great issues of our day. And it, it's this. He has revealed to us the value of every human life. God has revealed to us the value of every human life. That's the missing piece. That's the piece that holds it all together, that makes it all work, that makes it all fit. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to start from scratch. We don't have to begin with poll data. Or who's in charge. That's not enough. We have this missing piece, this revelation of God that, that shapes and informs all these issues. Name them. Abortion. Euthanasia. 
racism, sexism, the problems of religious freedom in this world and the lack of it in so many countries. How to respond to people who have mental and physical disabilities. How to respond when a disaster hits a community or there's poverty that's overtaken a city or a family. Or there are people who are abused or neglected. Or what do we do in response to this terrible trend of sex trafficking in this world? How do we know? Where do we go to turn? What's the missing piece that tells us, that informs us, that as a baseline, a foundation on all those issues? This. God has revealed to us the value of every single human life. And that's where we begin. We need to know that, what that value is, and apply it to all those issues. Every single one of them. All right, so what is that value? What is it then? Let's take a look at it. First point. What is the nature of being human? What does it mean to be a human being? To be a human person? Let's go back to Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then skipping down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. What does it mean to be made? There's two points here. First, we, the, our, our, the nature of being human, the value, the dignity, the worth, is grounded in the fact that we are made in his image after his likeness. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean, first, to be made in God's image? Something you might want to know, and that is in the ancient world, it was a, a well, as a custom, as an understanding, was a practice. The idea was is that the king in the ancient world was meant to serve as the representative of the god or gods, whichever nation or culture you're talking about in the ancient Near East. That man was to serve as that deity's image, their representative. The god was meant to work through that king. And so it was a, a common practice in the ancient Near East that therein the king would have images of himself, statues built and placed strategically all around the kingdom to impress and remind the peoples of who was in charge of, of his authority and where it came from. See, the idea here is that though that custom in some respects is, I was going to say, in a way, you, the, the temptation is to say that Genesis is a reflection of that. Actually, that's getting it flipped. That custom, that practice, is somehow a deep reflection and echo of the creation design. The fact that we have all been made in God's image. and not, It's not just the king. It's every human being is made in his image. He intends to work through his image bearers, his representatives on this earth to carry out his purposes. That's partly what it means to be made in his image. Every single one of us. Every one of us has ever lived. Made in his image. Also, made in his likeness. Made in his likeness, um, somehow like him, not as demigods, as some cults would have you to believe, but rather, nonetheless, there's a resemblance to God. 
We are not gods, but somehow because we were made in His likeness, there's something about us that's like Him. A resemblance. So there's the, the image bearing our representative with a, a likeness bearing. There's a, a resemblance. It's why. It's why because there's something about us that's like our Creator. It's why we can reason. It's why we can think. It's why we have a sense of that which is right and that which is wrong. It's why we can engage in relationships founded in love and commitment and faithfulness to one another. It's why we can govern. It's why we can create because we've been made after His likeness. After His likeness. So, that means we are creatures with great dignity and honor. Every human being. Every single human being is a creature of infinite worth and value because we have been made in His image according to His likeness. Now, this stands in stark contrast to the myths of the ancient world. This, by the way, is no myth. This is true. The ancient myths, however, the way they put it was, is that the, the earth and all cre creation was really made for the gods' benefit. It, the, the, the world, the galaxy, was their playground. Man, as a race, mankind, human beings, we were an afterthought, according to the pagan myths. According to the Bible, according to God's Word, no, 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 no. We are the centerpiece of it all. We are His crowning achievement. The creation of man. C.S. Lewis, I read from the Chronicles of Narnia a moment ago. I'm going to read something else. Uh, it's in your quotes and notes. It's a longer quote from his essay, The Weight of Glory. Now listen to what Lewis says here. He captures it so beautifully. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature. If you saw it now, would be, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. There's tremendous dignity, honor, worth simply in being a human being because we've been made in the image after the likeness of God Himself. That's the transcendent, never-changing, always-holding value to every human life. No exception. None whatsoever. That's the first point. That's the nature of being human. It's what it means to be a human being. 
Now, the second thing I want to point out is this. There is a continuity to that. Um, it doesn't change. Uh, there, this, this worth, this value, this honor, uh, there's a continuity to it. And, in, and I say that in a twofold sense. First, from creation on. From creation on. It doesn't stop. It starts there but doesn't stop after that. Now, um, turn with me to Psalm 8, or you can look at it there in your bulletin if you like. It's printed there too. Um, just think with me for a, a moment here. Uh, thinking about the fall. The fall was an historical event. It took place in space and time. With Adam's fall, we fell with him. In, so there's a reality to our depravity. There really is. Uh, Francis Schaeffer used to describe it this way. It's as though someone has taken their fist and driven it into a mirror. Now, the, the mirror now is cracked. The, the image is so astonishingly distorted when you try and look at yourself within that mirror. However, just as truly as there is a reality to that crackedness, that depravity, the failure, the distortion of that reflection, there's also still to a reality to our dignity that still yet remains. You can still see something in that cracked mirror, you understand. It's not obliterated. And that's what Psalm 8 tells us about. Um, it was read a few moments ago. The, the psalm begins, David begins there at, with, with a refrain at the very beginning and the very end, speaking to the majesty of God's name in all the earth. He's contemplating the glory, the wonder of his creation. He begins there in verses 3 and 4, looking up at the heavens, up at the stars, and the wonder and the beauty and the expanse of it all. And he asks this question, what is man? Now, oftentimes, we stop there and we say, well, we're nothing, right? We're nothing. We're, we're the gnat compared to all of that. We, in the comparison to its worth and its majesty, we have nothing. But that is not what the psalmist says. That is not the message of Psalm 8. He sets it up, asks the question, and gives an answer. He gives an answer. When you have, here's the answer, what is man? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Likely that's a reference to angels. And crowned him with glory and honor. Here comes echoes of Genesis 1 and 2. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You understand that is a description, yes, the reality of our depravity, but a reality of our dignity still yet too. From creation on. We still yet bear his image. We are still yet made after his likeness. But there's another sense in which we see the continuity of this dignity because we still have this humanity about us. And that is not just from creation on, but from conception on. From the start of life on. We have that dignity. We have that worth, that value. Psalm 139. Turn there with me now. Psalm 139, a few pages to the right from Psalm 8. Uh, psalm 139, we, the whole psalm really would be well worth some uh, close study. Uh, John Stott, in his wonderful book, Decisive Issues Facing Christians Today, traced it out this way. Three themes that you see here in Psalm 139. I want to give them to you. First, that of creation. And the second one being that of communion. 
And then the third, being this one I want to come back to, and that is continuity. But the first creation, listen to what he says there, Psalm 139, verse 13, what David says. You have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now just right there, full stop, right there. Immediately, we're given this image, this picture that is not of this just haphazard throwing something together. You know, like going in the cupboards and I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Oh, I'll make up something. Um, nor is it just some automatic kind of thing that erupts. But rather, what David is describing here is a divine work of creative skill. The image here is of a potter shaping, shaping or of a weaver paying attention to the most intricate detail there within the threads. And then you keep reading and you see that, that, that those ideas continue on. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them, the days were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. All right, well, that's the theme of creation. There is still yet, though, this theme of communion. And you see this almost in every line of this psalm. David is reflecting on this relationship that he has with the Lord. The I-U dynamic keeps coming up again and again and again of this is the one who has made me. This is the one who sustains me. This is the one who loves me and treasures me. That's the theme of communion. So creation, communion. Now, thirdly, finally, where we're really heading, this theme of continuity. And what I mean by that is this. At every st David is reflecting back over his existence, over his life, and the various stages. And at every stage, he sees no discontinuity in himself. He is the same person at every stage. Past, for instance, verse 1, you have searched me and known me. And he keeps going like that. Uh, verse 2, verses 2 through 6, present, right? You know right now when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Okay, same person, past, present, future. Skipping down to verse 7. Where shall I go? He's thinking about this hypothetical. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? So, past, present, future. But wait a minute. Remember verses 13 through 16? Read that a few moments ago? Where he's reflecting on his time in the womb. And he's the same person then as he is now. You see, there's no discontinuity there. He is the same person throughout every stage, every stage of his life. There's a continuity. My point being there's a continuity to our humanity, to our dignity, to our worth, from creation on despite the fall, from conception on with no exception. Okay, so in terms of thinking of this about this a little bit, more intently and more specifically to the occasion of this Sunday, right to human life, sanctity of human life Sunday, here's the question. Is that life in the womb human? We need to ask that question and wrestle with it. It's a kind of important. Is that life in the womb human? Now, some will say there is value there. They can see something of that as they look even at a sonogram image or even one of these 3D, 4D machines. They see some value there as a potential humanity. 
That is to say, it's not an actual person, it's a potential person. And because it's not an actual person, but a potential person, it doesn't have the rights of an actual person. Understand? I'm not supporting that. I'm just trying to give you the logic. That's the thought. Here's the problem. God's Word, and not surprisingly, science too, makes it very clear that is not a potential person, but a person with potential. And if we will but let them be born, they will have this great future ahead of them so long as they are cherished and nurtured and cared for along the way. That's a person with potential there that we're talking about. See, there's a continuity to our humanity. Let me also say there's a continuity to all these issues. I alluded to this earlier. I'll come back to it. There's a continuity to all these issues. Uh, this is the missing piece. The fact that God has revealed to us the value and the worth and the sanctity of every human life, which means, here's where you go with this, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter how you've been made. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what horrible circumstances that you are in. You still have value and worth and are due the rights to be treated that way. Because you have been made in the image after the likeness of God himself. You're human. Now why is this important in our day? especially in our day, to have this conversation and to be clear on these issues. Let me give you two reasons why. This is the, the conclusion, in case you're wondering where we are in the outline. Conclusion, okay? Hang with me. It's important. Two answers to the question why this is important, why this is vital to get our minds and hearts around. Number one, this clarifies our message. Too often... The church is accused of being nothing but against this and against that. And maybe we deserve that accusation. If so, we need to repent and change how we're saying this. We're only against certain things because of what we're for. Because we're for life. Pro-life in all of life. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter the issues. We are pro-life for all of life, and therefore we have to stand against certain things that violate that. So this clarifies our message in terms of what we need to say and the rationale behind it, which then gets me to the second reason, why this is so important for us to get our minds and hearts around. It doesn't just clarify the message. It grounds the message. It grounds the message which is so vital today because so many are around us, and I fear that many of us are fall prey to this, what I'm going to call a free-floating morality. A free-floating morality. What I mean by that is this. If you ask most of your coworkers, most of your friends, most of your peers, do you believe that there is anything that is absolutely wrong for every person in every circumstance that person will probably pause for a moment, but they'll likely come up with something. 
something will hit them so viscerally that they will have to respond, yes, I do believe, let's fill in the blank, I'm going to run with this, child abuse is wrong. Now your response should be, good, right. Why? Why do you believe it's wrong? It just is. Uh -uh 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 -uh. That's cheating. That's an assertion. That's not an explanation. Why is it wrong? I don't know. That's right, you don't. I'm not saying be that kind of caustic, but you get my, the idea. That's right, you don't know. You can't explain it. What it means is we are trapped in nothing but feelings and opinions and who has the best argument or worse, who has the most power to make the decisions. And that's not going to cut it. We, we find ourselves, because of this free-floating morality, we can't explain why we believe what we believe, and so we can't refute anybody. You see, without an understanding of the inherent worth of every human being given to them by God, inevitably, when the pressure is put on us, we will bend and break. We will. We will. It doesn't matter how, how viscerally you feel at the moment about whatever issue it is that comes to mind. When the pressure comes, I promise you, you will cave and collapse if you don't have a sense of why. Why? Free-floating morality won't do it. We need more. We have more. God has shown us. He has revealed to us the value of every human Life And history shows why this is so important. I'll give you two examples, and we're done. Example number one, William Wilberforce and the abolitionist movement against the African slave trade in the late 17th and well, late 18th and early 19th century. Um, we, we've got to go back and read the history there. We think to ourselves, well, of course. There was no of course at the time. They were so much in the minority. Their position, their stance was so intensely unpopular. One historian has said that for the British Empire to change their position on that in the way the abolitionists knew they had to was to commit voluntary aconocide. So why? Why did they stay the course for decades? Why the labor? Why the tears? Why the heartache? Why the sacrifice? Why? It was not out of some vague do-goodery. You think that'll sustain you for decades? No, it is out of a deep-seated conviction of who we all are as human beings as having been made in God's image and after his likeness. That's why. And that fueled the movement. Second example, Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in this country in the last century. If you think, by the way, that was just a political deal, You've been sold a bill of goods. That's the way it's oftentimes, the story is oftentimes told today. That is a lie. That was not a political movement. It was a spiritual and religious movement. Go back and read what Dr. King wrote. Go back and read what he said, some of his sermons and some of his papers, letters from a Birmingham jail. His message to the racist white church, which is where he had to begin, was not get more secular. It was press into what you say you believe. Press into the gospel. Press into the fact that truth is truth 
And God has spoken truth. And that truth that he has revealed is that we are all created equal in his sight as image bearers, as likeness bearers. That fueled the movement. You see? Free-floating morality won't do it. Or, or we can go more recent history quickly. The end of apartheid in South Africa, same thing. The fall of communism in Eastern Europe, same thing. If you read the right sources who will tell you the truth as to how all that came about. Parallel in all those situations. People are operating out of a conviction as to what God has revealed that sustained them for the long haul. May He do the same for us. Let me pray. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You've created the moon and the stars, and they are glorious to behold. And they do take our breath away. Would the same be said as we look into the face of a person? Any person. Of course, we're so delighted there are so many of us on this planet. But we get so used to seeing each other. But every one of us, even if there was but one of us on this earth, would be a wonder. The crowning achievement of your creation, the centerpiece. We can know that. And we pray that you'd help us to operate out of that, to apply that. Whether we're thinking about the start of life or the end of life or somewhere in between, to see life as precious, to not be vague here, but to be specific how we see each other how we treat each other and how we live, how we speak and, and move and act in this culture, in this society. Oh, Lord, change us. Change us as the church and through us change this culture, change this society, change Middle Tennessee, change Tennessee, change the Southeast, change this nation. We need it. We need it. Begin with us, we pray. In your name, we ask these things. Amen.